Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. I just can't tell you guys how grateful I am to be here. And that might, you know, this doesn't look like church, does it? You know, um, this doesn't look like what we think of as church. But if we can come together and worship and open the word together, we're doing church. And I've been waiting for us to have our own space since mid-March. And I am so grateful uh, that we get to get away like this in our own in our own environment that feels like you know it feels like it's us it feels like Kai is together and that means that means a lot um, and I want you to know that you know this ministry uh, has always come from fairly you know it's come from fairly humble beginnings uh, this ministry started with about eight people in an attic space uh, much more much more lowly looking than this. Um, this is like a this is like a palace uh, compared to where we started ministry and um, and I and I, I want to m- maybe point something else to you, uh, out to you very briefly just because I know that things still feel feel weird and this for some of you this doesn't feel like home and this feels like oh it's just a, this is another transitional moment um, you know the, the apostles in Acts were much more familiar with dust on their feet than with pews. And if we ever get too comfortable uh, with any one thing, then we're setting ourselves up to not trust God. And so, you know, there's things that have to, we've got to work some kinks out this week with, you know, with worship, and hopefully next week we'll come back and we'll do this even better, make it a little more refined. But I do want to say that if at any point we begin to trust in, in our flesh or in our hands, um, then we will fail as a ministry to do the thing that God has called us to do. And all this study in Acts and all of this like, discussing what it means to be a righteous remnant, what that means is that this doesn't bother us. Is that being transient doesn't bother us. It doesn't. All this, all this means is we have another opportunity to minister. And, uh, you know, Jesus says this really amazing thing. He says that the... The foxes, they have holes to sleep in. And the, the birds of the air, they have nests to sleep in, to dwell in. But the Son of Man, he has no place to rest his head. And, and you know, the, in Hebrews it talks about the strangers and the pilgrims, the, the, the righteous remnants of old, those believers that had faith to do whatever God asked them to do. And these people... They had no home. No matter where they went, they had no home. They could not find rest in this world. And, and guys, look, we're doing this series on a righteous remnant because we're, we're talking about that very thing. Like, though the world despises us and, 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 and we might not have any place where we feel like we belong, some of us, we just spent Thanksgiving with our family and we came out of that knowing, we're like, well, I don't belong there. Right? Like, like even our own families don't really feel like home sometimes. And we have to get familiar with discomfort. 
if we're going to reach the world. And that's, and, and that's what Kaya is about. And I know that there's people, there's a few people here, this is their very first Sunday, is here in this space. And so it's like, you have no idea or no context for any of this. And I want to say welcome. And I want to say welcome to a ministry who's striving to die. And we don't know how to do it. You know, absent God's help, we don't know how to be all the things that he wants us to be, but, but we do believe this. We believe that God wants to use us to reach the entire world. And that even as humble as this may look right here, we're doing it. We're actually doing it. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for every one of you. And I feel like this is my first opportunity in like nine months to say, hey, family, it's good to see you. I've been running like a crazy man trying to make sure services work and that, that Sam is getting what he needs over in main service and and, uh, and we, you know, just everything's changing from week to week, and it feels different, and it feels hard, and I want you to know, I feel really distant from you guys. And uh, we used to, when down, we were down in St. Paul's down the street, after service, we would take time for like an hour after service just to hang out and talk, and that was like my opportunity to meet new people, and I haven't had that for nine months. And that, that really killed me, and I want to just confess that, that that was like really, really difficult for me, and I'm so thankful that we have a space and that, that when service lets out, we've got some cleaning to do. But uh, we don't have to be in any hurry to leave and to get the next service in here. We can, we can shake hands and give hugs and, and love each other. I mean, if that's allowed. I mean, that's on the stream, I guess. So hopefully no one sees that and <laughs> gets us in trouble. But I'm hugging folks. So if you want to hug after service, um, I'm ready to do that. It's good to be with you. Um, okay, so here we are, Righteous Remnant. And somehow we ended up on Elijah. How'd that happen? Right, that wasn't supposed to happen. We were supposed to be done after Job, but I just couldn't help myself. And I started studying Elijah, and, and I, I feel like it's worth looking at. And last time we were together, last week, we were looking at Elijah as an evangelist. And we were looking at principles from chapter 17 on what it means to live the lifestyle of an, of an evangelist. And the first thing we talked about was Elijah's boldness. And if you missed that, you can go back and listen to it online. But we talked about where did his boldness come from? You know, how did he become such a bold individual in the faith? And we discussed how he believed that his God lived and, and that he was an ambassador for Christ. And, it, and that belief system created action, a boldness in his actions that far surpasses many of, of our own actions, you know. And so we looked at that. And then we looked at the importance of retreating with God and how that's crucial for the evangelist, that we need time alone in devotion with God. We need times of retreat. We discussed that. What does retreat look like when we're, when we're spending time with the Lord? A lot of us are very, un, like, like it's uncomfortable to be alone and in silence with the Lord, with the Bible open in prayer. And so that's something that we need to refine in our lives. And then we finally talked about what it looked like to open the Word and feed others from what God has fed us and to share from the table that God's put before us and, and how we're to go to the lost with an open Bible and the thing that sustains us from day to day, we, we should be using it to help sustain other people and to bring them into the faith. And so that was a really powerful study for me, and I hope it was for you as well. Today we're going to be talking about Obadiah, Obadiah, uh, which is a, just a fun word to say. And, um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to saying that many, many times throughout the sermon today. Uh, but Obadiah was a reluctant remnant. And we're going to talk about his reluctancy a little bit today. Can I pray? I feel like I've been rambling, which is 
a little unlike me, but um, I want to take, did someone laugh at that? <laughs> it's always Havala. She was cracking on me last night, and I just, it's okay. Um, let's pray, can we? All right, dear Heavenly Father, uh, I love you so much, and I'm so grateful for my family. And um, Lord, there are people in this room that I have known uh, since they were in elementary and middle school. And to see, Lord, all of the places that you've brought us over the years, um, both in terms of the environments that we've ministered in, but the faces that, God, you've brought into our ministry. And um, I can only just say, God, I'm more grateful than I could ever express. I just, I don't even know how. I don't know how. I just, I'm so thankful, Lord. And I, and I pray that you would continue to make our ministry fruitful and that, that, Lord, we would continue to rely on you for, just as Sam said today, for the power necessary to reach the world with the gospel. That's going to have to come from you. We can't conjure that. And so, Lord, please, God, help us. Go before us. Be the strength in our hands and in our feet. And, Lord, help us to look past superficial, worldly, and materialistic things that we might see you more fully. And so, God, be with us in your word today. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we know that to be a remnant means to be the last of the last of the last of a generation, right? In a world of wickedness, uh, a remnant is the ones who, st they're the ones who stand out. And to be a righteous remnant means to be holy before God and obedient to Him in every regard, right? But to live in such a way that goes against the grain of the societal norms and the culture of our day. And the culture of our day, as we know, is one that despises God, the things, the things that, that we believe are ridiculous. And uh, we've got to learn how to live in that world and minister and obey despite the fact that, that what we believe is just uncommon. It's just uncommon. And that's the world in which Elijah lived in. We talked about last time we were together that Ahab, the king of Israel, and his wife Jezebel were wicked beyond anything that Israel had ever seen. And they had invited Baal worship into the kingdom. And, and Israel was beginning to turn that way. They were turning towards Baal. There were people whose hearts were, were divided between the God of the Exodus and the God of their king, right? And, uh, and so in many ways, we could describe them as Laodicean. They were, their hearts were lukewarm. They were somewhere between hot and cold. And they didn't really know what to believe. And Elijah was there to stir their hearts. And we saw that at the beginning of chapter 17, Elijah went before King Ahab and he said, Hey, look, man, because of the wickedness that you've done and that you've brought and invited in to the nation, there will be three years of drought. And that's on top of six months of drought that they'd already been facing. Three more years of drought until you can come to a place of brokenness. And so... <clears throat> We learn that uh, in this next chapter that Ahab isn't very moved by that. That, uh, that that doesn't do much to bring him to a place of sorrow or brokenness. And in today's study, um, we're going to look at that a little bit, but we're also going to look at Obadiah uh, a little bit more carefully. And we're going to study this man who was absolutely a righteous remnant. Like in terms of the way that we def have defined a righteous remnant up to this point, Obadiah fits that category. And, uh, but at the exact same time, he was reluctant in his faith, and he, was, he had a hard time reckoning what God was asking him to do, to do in this very moment in Acts chapter 18. And so let's look, 
Let's go ahead and look at verse 1. Can we do that? 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And so the first thing we need to say is, man, retreat is good, isn't it? That time alone with God, it's good, but that time has to come to an end when it's time to do the work that God's called you to do. And so Elijah spent these last three years just hanging out with God and and relying on the sustenance of God. But now God is calling him to go back to Ahab and to reveal himself and to prepare because there's a rain that's going to come. And so, I'm sorry, I'm all sniffly because of, you know, the tears and whatnot. Is there water around here? I feel like things are very informal. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. I haven't preached from this pulpit in nine months either. I forgot. There's a shelf here. Thank you. Brian, how are you doing up there? Praise God. Yeah, it's good to have everybody together, isn't it? So... Those times of retreat, they've got to, they've got to come to an end uh, so that we can go do the work, and, and God goes with us. See, what the time of retreat does is it proves that God is with us as we go. Does that make sense? And so Elijah knows that he's, he's to go meet Ahab once again, uh, that the Lord is going to be with him. And so God says, go, and this is the sorest part of the famine. This is the tail end of that three and a half years of drought, and this is the sorest part of the famine. I couldn't help but draw another parallel between our world. And so, you know, I don't know whether or not this is the sorest part of the pandemic, but statistics say that this is the, this is the moment where things are the worst in terms of the pandemic. And, and so I'm thinking about COVID, and I'm thinking about where we're at, and I'm thinking about how... Thanks, bro. And... Okay. I'm going to take a moment here. I don't have to cram a message into 45 minutes either, so... So, for us, you know, we might see a similarity here in that God has called us to do a work in the midst of what we would describe as a tribulation, that of Ezekiel chapter 14. Remember, we worked through all the different types of judgment, and one of them was famine. Remember that? In Ezekiel chapter 14, when we were trying to define what a remnant age looks like, one of those judgments is, is, is drought and famine. And others, uh, another one was pestilence, and, and we are facing a pestilence, a pandemic of all, all, all our own, right? And it's, it's unique to us. And we may be in the sorest moments of the pandemic, but it doesn't change the fact that there's a calling on our life, and we must go in the midst of that. Like, despite how difficult it is, there is people that need to be reached. And, and for the New Testament believer, the mission-minded believer, for the righteous remnant, it's our responsibility to go despite how hard things are and how fearful the world is. All right, so we look around, we say to ourselves, well, this, this isn't a moment, this isn't a moment in our time where we should be working the mission. I mean, look at all the restrictions on travel and the way that we got to do things. And I, and I don't want to be flippant. I like, we want to respect the mandates and whatnot. But I want to tell you, as far as the mission's concerned, all bets are off, right? All bets are off. When we're talking about souls, I mean, what, what good is it? What good of it is it if people keep their health but lose their soul? Yeah. What good is it? And so we've got to have a mindset that says, you know what? If the Lord's calling me to go to people, despite my circumstances, I'm going to go. And so God says, go. We must obey him. 
We're obligated to go into the mission despite the trial of our lives. And for some of you, you know, this might even constitute as the trial of your life. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you've got trials that go beyond this. Losing family members or, or just hardships that are unique to you. And, and despite all those things, God's still calling you to go. There's still a mission to be done. And so he goes and, and Elijah um, um, is going to, in a moment here, meet this guy Obadiah. But before we get there, I want to introduce you to Obadiah. Okay, so verse 3 says this. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Okay, so, so Obadiah works for Ahab. Now we're going to find that Obadiah was a righteous man. And you might say to yourself, well, what is a righteous man like Obadiah doing in the, working for a king that's as wicked as Ahab? Like, how does he reconcile that? How does he say to himself that this is okay, right? Well, the truth is we see men of God throughout history. We're talking about Joseph and, and Daniel and, and men like that who go and they work alongside wicked kings to make provision for God's people. And God uses them strategically uh, in those settings in order to be used. And that's no different for Obadiah here. So, so listen to what it says. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Okay? So what we see here is that not only is Obadiah uh, serving the king, okay, administratively, uh, that he's functioning in his proper role, we see him doing that here, but beyond that, he is serving the Lord in his position. He's being used. And so despite the fact that, that, that if Jezebel was to find out that he was feeding these prophets, I mean, he's taking these hundred prophets, right? These teachers of the nation of Israel, these men who have been putting their life on the line to, to preach a repentance message in a world that's basically turned its back on God. He's taken these men and he's hid them away to protect them in caves, right? And he's, and he's hiding them away and he's protecting them. He's looking out for them. And then he's going to what we assume is the king's kitchen to get bread and water and to take from the king to sustain the prophets. I mean, the, the dude's looking, I mean, he's, he's looking down the barrel of Jezebel's shotgun, right? He's facing what is most certainly his death if she finds out. And so we have here a righteous man. We've got a man of God who's functioning without fear. And that reminds us of exactly how we should be living and how we should be counting the cost every single day. And so here's our first key point for this morning. The righteous remnant is always weighing their natural fears against the fear of God. Always doing that. Every single day. We all have fear. We all have things that we struggle with in the flesh. Things that if we sit and we contemplate our circumstances, our situation, they bring us anxiety. They, 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 they make us cower, resist, hold back. But if every day we're not taking those things and holding them up against and in comparison to our fear of God, then we're going to be useless. We're going to be useless. And so Obadiah was the type of guy who said, who do I fear more? Man or God? 
And for him, the answer was God, at least in this moment. So we need to be counting the cost every day just the same way. We've got to be looking at our situations and weighing the risks. You know, too many of us are drawing the wrong conclusions. When we compare our situations against our situations, man, we find ourselves in retreat. I mean, there are people that are here right, that are not here right now because when they looked at their circumstances and their situation, they cowered in fear. They retreated. And they told themselves, I can't obey God. And that's literally the only place you can come to is I can't obey God. And so in, in, instead, I'm going to leave the church or I'm not going to go or I'm not going to participate or I'm going to slowly, you know, sneak out of Bible study. I'm going to disappear. I'm going to get off the radar. And that's my only solution because my fears are just too great. You guys, all, you, we all know people who've done that over the last year. And it's devastating. It's devastating to watch. But listen to me. Don't be so arrogant or so proud to, say to, your, to, to, to not say to yourself that that could be me. Like in the right situation, that could be me. And if I'm not constantly comparing my situation against who God is, I might end up just like my lost brothers and sisters who were too afraid to press on. Are you guys with me? Now let's talk about Ahab. Verse 5 says, And Ahab's... Okay. So I'm not used to that. Stay. Okay. Verse 5, And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all fountains of water, and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them uh, to pass through it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Okay, so what's happening here? So Ahab, the king, is so concerned about uh, about his livestock and his cattle that he is going out himself, not even his servants, right? He's going out himself to find pasture, to find some place near water where there might be grass, to feed his oxen and his cattle, right? And so him and Obadiah, they go out together, and he says, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to cover this land mass over here, and you're going to cover that land mass. You look over there, and between the two of us, we've got to find a place to take my cattle to be fed. Now, I think there's a really interesting picture here. So after three years of, of drought and famine... Ahab is still trying to find a way around his situation. Right? Rather than being broken and going before the Lord and saying, I was wrong, you were right all along, he's still looking for ways to circumvent God's plan. He's still looking for a way to make things work. And so it's so funny, like in the story, what we see here is Jezebel is searching the land, he's, she's scouring the land to find the prophets that are speaking against Baal that she might kill them. That's, that's what's going on right now. And so she's out searching in order to protect her own reputation and beliefs, her own idols. So Jezebel's working to protect herself from the loss of her idols. And at the same time, her husband Ahab is searching the land and looking for a way to protect himself from losing his wealth. 
And this is just like so many lost people. Is that despite their circumstances, they're working so hard to make a way in order to retain the things that they love, the false idols that they worship, or, or their wealth, or their resources. See, they would much rather work around God in order to keep the things that satisfy them than to die to self and accept the fact that our God lives. And there might be people in this room who are in that very place. Maybe you came today and you don't believe or you're struggling with belief and you're working so hard to make life work for you. You're working so hard to make a way in life, to have an identity and a purpose outside of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that that just does not work. Key point number two. Searching for satisfaction in this world ensures a life of aimless wandering. You know, I was talking a minute ago about the people that walk away from the faith, that, that they can no longer justify following God because of fears or anxieties or things that they're afraid that they won't get if they follow God. And what they often find themselves doing is after they walk away from the Lord, they begin wandering around just like the lost world does, aimless, looking for peace, looking for hope, looking for protection, looking for wealth, looking to satisfy passions, looking to establish idols, anything that doesn't look like God. Just anything that doesn't look like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anything that doesn't look like submission. Because I just can't do that. It's just too hard. It just means I'm going to have to lose the things that I want. But I'm telling you, there's no satisfaction there. And as long as we are seeking personal preservation, then we're never going to find spiritual liberation. We never will. We never will. And if our objectives are to protect the things that we've built and our personal desires, then we're always just going to be wandering. And there may be believers in this room right now who are tempted with that very thing. To wander, to go. Because this is hard. This way is hard. I've been watching a lot of Mandalorian. If you have not watched that, it's just so entertaining. It's, it's just so good. And every time he says, this is the way, I just like, just something spiritual inside of me rejoices. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But, 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 but the truth is, there is only one way. Um, you know, I don't know if, I, I, don't, I don't know if we have time for that. I'm not going to go down that road. Okay. So as Obadiah obediently helps Ahab search for grass, he encounters the man of spiritual fame. He comes across Elijah. They cross paths. And so what we have here is a remnant encounter. Two righteous remnant men come in contact with one another. And we're going to learn so much from this. And this is where we're going to really press in, okay? And so they come across each other. And Elijah is famous at this point because this is the guy that came before Ahab and like just wasn't afraid and said, look, bro, here comes a drought. And he's not afraid. And then he just disappeared, right? It's like Tupac. When I was a young man... I was like literally waiting. I was waiting for Tupac to return one day just to like show up. Some of you don't even really even know who Tupac is. But anyway, they're all waiting. They're like, where is, this, where is the man Elijah? When is he going to show up? And here he is, and Obadiah encounters him. In verse 7 it says, and as Obadiah was in the way, there it is, in the way, um, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face and said, art thou 
that my, that my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. So Obadiah proves his humility here. He falls before Elijah and he says, are, are you that Elijah, my Lord? Right? He calls him Lord. Now the thing that I love about what happens right here is Elijah is completely uncomfortable with that terminology. And so he refers to him as Lord and he falls down before him and Elijah's like, yeah, I'm Elijah. Now you go to your Lord, right? And he says, you go to your Lord. And what he's referring to is like, your master is Ahab. That's the guy you work for. Don't, don't call me Lord. I'm not comfortable with that term. And I want to point something out to you that this is true of all righteous remnant. The righteous remnant is uncomfortable with terms that elevate them to a place of authority and esteem. I mean, tr- true humility looks like I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that terminology. Um, you can call someone else that, but, you know, I'm, I'm just a lowly righteous remnant. Like, I'm just, I'm just whatever God made me to be. And I think that, you know what, there's something there to be learned. Like, I think a lot of us we like titles and we like positions of authority and we, we like oversight and we like to be leaders and we like, we like to be regarded. And I think that, you know what, if we're going to make it in this world and we're going to be righteous till the very end, we're going to have to go, we're going to have to forego some of those desires, right? We're going to have to look past the fact that we want some position or, or like there's a, there's a title or there's something that we want and like we're not getting the thing that we want or people are not seeing me or perceiving me the way that I ought to be perceived you're probably going to have to let go of that um, if you're going to amount to anything in the kingdom of God. Like, that's got to not be important to you because we've got work to do, and if you're concerned about a title or a position, it's going to be a distraction from the thing that God's calling you to be and to do. You understand? And so we've got to learn to be humble, and I know a lot of us like to hear the praises of men, and, and it's always good to affirm people when they're doing what's right and obeying. Like, like, we need to tell one another, like, thank you for yielding to the Lord. That's a good thing. But we, not, we don't need to be looking for the affirmation of men or titles or positions or, or whatever it may be. We need to be looking to obey God and to get the work done. And so Elijah quickly deflects this, this way of thinking and he says, look, go to your Lord. He's, you got something to tell him. I need to meet with him. I need to meet with him. And so here we, here we go. Uh, here comes a series of questions from Obadiah that show a reluctance to go before Ahab and make the declaration that Elijah wants him to make. He grows fearful in this, in this moment. And so the man that's been fearless up to this point, when faced with the right hurdle, he begins to struggle a little bit. He begins to have a hard time. And so we're going to look at some of the questions that, that Obadiah asks himself, like questions like, how far is too far? Like have, I, like, have I not gone far enough? How much pain is too much pain? Is obeying God worth it today as much as it was yesterday? And these are the types of questions that we also ask ourselves. These are questions that all of us ourselves face whenever we are put under the pressure of taking the next step forward in faith. So let's look at this, the reluctant remnant. Verse 7. So it says, Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Okay, now here's Obadiah's response. And he said, What, have I, have I sinned 
that thou wouldst deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they, and when they said, he's not, he's not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now, say, and now thou sayest, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I, I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. So we can see from Obadiah's response that he wasn't really excited about what Elijah was asking him to do. And it put him in an uncomfortable situation. And he says to him, look, have I, have I sinned or have I done something against you that you would have me to do this thing? Like, what have I done wrong that you're asking me to do this? And I think that we can all relate to that spirit, right? Like, like when God asks us to do something, it's like, it's like Jonah, right? It's, it's right back to Jonah. It's like, what have I done wrong that you've, you're asking me to do this thing that you know makes me uncomfortable? Like, is this punishment, God? Like, are you punishing me right now? Because you know that's the one thing I don't want to do. <laughs> of all of the things to do, I mean, that's the one thing I don't want to do, and that's the one thing I don't want to be. And so Obadiah makes four arguments before Elijah, reasons that he might be dismissed from this assignment. Each one may be an excuse that we, also would ask, uh, that we would also have before God. These are all things that are reluctancies in our own hearts. So let's look at the very first one. The reluctance because of circumstance. Reluctance because of circumstance. Verse 10, As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom, whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee, and when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And so what he says is, look, the timing just isn't right. These guys have been looking for you everywhere, everywhere. And they've got the people all over the community, everywhere in the nation, vowing vows that if they're to even see you, that they've got to report it immediately. These people are making oaths in all the villages, and they are looking for you. I'm just telling you, Elijah, your timing is bad right now. And so Obadiah first calls into question whether or not the circumstances are befitting Elijah's arrival as it poses a great uh, a threat both to him and Elijah. And so circumstantially, he's like, this is just not good timing. He's basically informing him uh, of what he may have missed, you know? So like Elijah's been gone, and, and so he's, he's like trying to tell Elijah, he's like, Elijah, bro, I, I know you've been, you've been out there in the wilderness somewhere, and, and now you're here, and that's cool and all. Uh, but there's some things that you've missed over the last three years. Like, like people are really upset with you, man. And, um, and they're looking for you, and they want to kill you. And this is a lot like our excuses to not obey God. It might sound like, uh, but God, I'm not ready yet. Like, in my mind, there was like, 
a few more boxes that needed to be checked off before I was prepared for you to have me do that thing. I'm just, I'm not ready. But, but God, I haven't finished discipleship yet. I'm not, re- I'm not ready to do the thing you're asking me to do because I haven't even, I haven't even finished discipleship or, or maybe it's D2 or, or maybe it's LFBI or, or whatever is the, the training that you're getting. God, I just, I'm not fully baked. And that thing that you're calling me to, it seems like it's going to require a little more training before I get there. But God, I'm not even a good student which is a lot of times the thing that people say when they're supposed to be signing up for LFBI classes to get that training. They tell, they tell themselves, well, I couldn't do that because I'm not a good student. Listen to me. You're not a good student because you tell yourself you're not a good student. Like, how could you ever be a good student if all along the way you're convincing yourself that you can't do the one thing that you're supposed to do? But we do it. But God, I just don't have time right now. But if God's asking you to do it, do you think he's not aware, like, of your schedule? But we have excuses like that. But God, I, I don't have the money to go on that missions trip. Circumstances. Circumstances that we're convinced get in the way of the thing that God's calling us to do. Like he's not, like he, like he doesn't feed men with ravens or something. Like God isn't miraculous. Like he didn't resurrect from the dead. Like he, he can't make a way. If he's calling you to that thing, God can make a way. But God, what about COVID? But God, campuses are shut down. I mean, how could I possibly evangelize the way you're asking me to? Campuses aren't even open right now. But God, evangelism doesn't work like that. Isn't that funny how often we tell God how evangelism is supposed to work? Like we sit around and we debate like whether or not we should be doing this or that. And to, should, we, should we be knocking on doors or we should be out on the plaza? And we tell God what we think that evangelism should look like. When he, he gives us like 400 different ways that, that evangelism should look in scripture, right? It looks like you keeping your mouth open and ready to preach the gospel. Well, we've got all kinds of reasons and excuses why you know, evangelism it sh- shouldn't look that way. Or, but God, I don't even know them well enough to speak up yet. We all tell ourselves that. Well, God, I haven't quite built the relationship with that person yet. How could I possibly cross that threshold? I mean, it seems premature. But God, you know, what if we just waited a little bit longer? Key point. The circumstances are rarely right. And that's why we need faith. Like, like, when are your circumstances going to be right to obey God? You know, it's one of the funny things, like, that people who are married often have these conversations about having kids. Like, well, you know, we don't, we don't quite have the finances yet for kids to have a kid. And people who have kids, what do they always say? They always say, you'll never be ready. You'll never be ready to have kids. At what point are you going to have all of the right boxes checked to have children? Right? And so, you know, we come up with all these excuses of why we don't want to have cute little babies ruining our life is what we're really saying. It's like, well, I'm just not ready to have my life ruined. <laughs> God. But the truth is, like, that, that same anecdote applies here. Like, when are you ever going to be ready? When are your circumstances ever going to be right for obeying God? They're not. That's the point. Like, God makes a habit of calling people when their circumstances aren't right so that you have to rely on him. Like, that's the whole point, right? 
Like he's trying to bring you into a position of faith where you have to rely on him, where you are desperate, where you are urgent. Because he wants you relying on him. And so if you're looking for your circumstances to be right, well, that's the wrong reason to be reluctant about obeying God. Does that make sense? Okay, two, he's reluctant because of distrust. He's reluctant because of distrust. Specifically, distrust of the people that he's supposed to be ministering with. All right, look at what it says. 11, and now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee uh, whither I know not. And so when I am come and tell Ahab, he cannot find thee, and he shall slay me. So here Obadiah fears the moment he leaves to go tell Ahab that Elijah is going to just disappear. You know, like the way he did before. Right? He goes before Ahab, and then suddenly he's gone for three years. No one knows where he's at. And so Obadiah is saying, like, look, bro, I'm going to leave. We're we're standing here right now, and I appreciate what you're asking me. But I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go tell Ahab that you're over here and that you want to meet with him, and then we're going to come back, and you're going to be gone. And even, you know, he's spiritual enough to say, well, like, the Spirit of God, you know, the Spirit might just carry you off to some other place. And what he's really saying is, like, look, bro, I can't trust you to be here when I get back. And that's tough because a lot of us struggle with trusting one another in ministry, too. Like when we, a lot of times we don't step out in faith to do the thing that God's called us to do because we don't know who's going to have our back. And we look around and we're like, well, what if people leave me high and dry? But listen to me, I'm going to tell you right now, I can't be who I need to be as a minister of Christ without you guys. I need you. And, I, and I'd like to believe that you need me and that you need one another and that that God has called us to be fitly joined, that we're supposed to be working together. You know, at the heart of this is fear. Fear that he might be left behind by the people that he loves the most or that should love him. And, and a lot of us have a lot of insecurity about how we're perceived by one another in here. And we hold each other to really tough expectations. Did you know that? Like, you know, like when we let each other down, some of us get way too hurt by that. I am only going to let you down. I can't be perfect for you. I've, I've never felt that more than through this, this entire stint of COVID. I feel completely insufficient for the job. And that's true among one another too. But what, are you, what are you wanting from one another? For, for that person to be perfect? To always have your back the right way, exactly the way you expect? That's so messed up. That's, that's such the wrong perspective. We've got to rely on one another despite the fact that we're going to fail each other because God's called us to be fitly joined. I don't know how it works, how, how puzzle pieces that aren't supposed to fit together do, how blocks that are inconsistency. You know, one of the things I love about Kansas City is that there's these limestone walls everywhere. You know, have you ever noticed that? Maybe you don't look at walls, but I'm old enough where I think, man, look at that landscape. It's wonderful. I'm, like, I'm at that age in my life. But, like, if you go around the Art Institute and, like, over there by KCAI, and there's these beautiful limestone walls, and all of them are different, and they've got these rocks that aren't supposed to fit together. But there was a mason out there, right, with, the, with mortar and a hammer, and he took those things and he fit them together despite the fact that they were never supposed to fit together. And that's the way we are, too, as a family. 
And so here's the, here's the key point. Here's the principle that we need to recognize is that God entrusts people. God does that. And so we can entrust people when we trust God. God is the thing. He's the mortar that, that brings us together despite the fact that we don't fit. Right? And if God has entrusted us with the greatest care ever, I mean, he's given us the work, the great commission to go and to reach souls. That took some trust, don't you think? To like leave everything in our watch care? That's, I mean, that's problematic, but I'm not going to tell God his business. But, you know, it just seems a little, it seems a little risky, right? Because we suck so bad, right? But he entrusted us. And here's the deal. We can entrust one another if we trust God. If we trust God that he's going to do his work and that people are going to struggle along the way and we're just a family, we're just a mess, but God is going to make things work. We can learn to, to, to trust one another. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow into him all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And if you're constantly guarding yourself against someone else, against another brother or sister because you're afraid to be hurt, well, guess what? You're never going to be vulnerable enough to just dive right in. And the water's warm. And that might be because we're all pissing the pool. Is that too much? I, that's a Sam, like I felt like that was a Sam joke. Sorry, I, I went there. You know, but, but you know what? We're, we, we all struggle, right? We're all struggling. We're all in the pool, but it's warm. And, and listen to me. And we're here together. We're here together. And you know what? God wants to use us. And we don't need to be afraid. We need to be vulnerable with one another because God is going to use that vulnerability to, to, to join us together and to make the parts fit. Yeah? Okay. Reluctancy number three. He's reluctant because of spiritual exemption. Spiritual exemption. Now this one, the more spiritual people in the room, you know, those of you who've been around a minute and you feel good about your faith, listen, this is one that we, this is an excuse that we make a lot. Okay, listen to what he says. Verse 13. Was it not what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water? Now, I don't believe that Obadiah is trying to brag here. Okay, I don't. Right? I don't think this is an issue of arrogance, and I don't think that that's the tone of even the conversation. But I do believe, I do believe that he is saying, I've already put my neck out on the line, and you're asking me to do more? I mean, isn't the work that God called me to do before, isn't that sufficient? Like, I do believe he's saying that. Now, I think he's saying it with humility, and I think he's authentic in his, in his presentation here. But I do believe what he's saying is, look, bro, I've already been hard at work. You've been out there retreating with the Lord. And I'm over here feeding these prophets, and, and I'm, just, I'm just feeling like maybe I've got enough on my plate right now as it is. And he's basically saying, I, isn't there a spiritual exemption here? Like, I've been spiritual enough thus far. Aren't I good to maybe pass on this one? You know, I think we approach God's call with similar reluctancy. But God, I'm, I'm, I'm already doing this thing over here. I'm already, already doing this. Isn't, isn't that enough? Who else, 
you know, who else could do this thing that you're asking me to do? Someone else, certainly, who's got more time and capacity or energy or, or someone who's just got maybe more faith, they can do that over there. And I'll stay over here. I'll stay in my lane, right? We do this with God. And so here's the key point. Yesterday's faith is insufficient for today's calling. Yesterday's faith is insufficient for today's calling. And so you might applaud yourself for what you did yesterday, but the truth is, the truth is, God might be calling you to something way harder today. And are you going to tell him no? You know, there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 4 where the nation of Israel takes the Ark of the Covenant out into battle against the Philistines because they remember a time and a place where when they did carry the Ark in, into battle, that God caused them to win. Right? And, 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 and they end up, in, in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, the Ark ends up getting stolen. You remember this? The Philistines take the Ark. It's a really crummy deal. Right? It's like... But the issue wasn't the issue wasn't the ark. The issue was faith. The issue was faith, and the issue in the past, the past when they went into battle, it wasn't an issue of the ark. It was never about the ark. It was always about faith. Now they had faith back then, but they didn't have faith in that moment, and they ended up losing. And the truth is, you can't be looking back to what God did way back then or yesterday even, and say to yourself, "Well, God, don't I get a pass?" No, no, you don't. See, the mission is going to cause you, cause you to lose things all along the way. The cost continues to get greater. Can I tell you that? The cost gets greater day by day. Each day that passes, it gets more difficult. And it's going to require new faith. It's going to require new faith. And you've got to be willing. So God is calling us to more as well. But we can't be reluctant. We have to say yes. Okay, the third thing is the reluctance, or sorry, the fourth thing is the reluctance because of risk. Specifically, the risk of our lives. The risk of our lives. Verse 14, And now that thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And this is the, this is the underlying fear underneath all of it. Is this, this fear of his life, what he might lose in terms of his life. But see, the, the remnant doesn't function that way. The remnant only regards their own life to the, to the degree that they can accomplish God's work. Right? They're always only looking at the value of their life in terms of what it can actually do as it concerns the kingdom of God. Any value that's in me whatsoever has only to do with what I'm going to steward on behalf of the mission. Outside of that, there is no value. There's no value here, right? I have nothing. And so if I hold my life back and, I, re- and I, I regard it and I reserve it and I find it to be more precious than it actually is, then I'm going to fail to do the things that God asks me to do. I'm going to get in the way. Acts 20, 24 says, but none of these things move me. This is Paul. I can't wait to get to this chapter, by the way. It's coming. We're coming back to Acts, by the way. I want to let you know, in the new year, we will come back to Acts, and we'll finish strong, okay? We're not, we're not forgetting that. But here's Paul talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about all the things he's been through. And listen to what he says. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So here's our key point. Our life is not our own. 
That's the, that's the easiest way to say it. Our life is not our own. So why do we worry? Why do we fret? Obeying God is actually all we have. It's the only thing that brings our life value, and so it's the only thing we actually have to saying yes to God. Obadiah may fear for his life, but what is life in, in, in disobedience to God? What is life? What kind of existence is that? Now listen, all of this gets comforted, and all of this, Obadiah gets past this. But it comes with the comfort of the words of Elijah. You understand? And so we might have all of these reluctancies, yeah? Anybody feel familiar, like recognize that like, there are some of the things Obadiah says, those are excuses that I make in my walk, okay? So listen to what Elijah says to remedy it. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth. Now when we talk about the Lord of hosts, that's implying the military might of God. The Lord of hosts means that our God, he doesn't, he's not just the Lord. He's the Lord over all of the angelic beings of the entire universe. Pretty sweet. As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him this day, today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now listen to me. Do you guys remember the beginning of chapter 17? When Ahab, uh, when, when Elijah comes before Ahab, what does he say? He says two things. And we talked about them in terms of boldness, right? Why was it that Elijah was so bold? Oh, he knew two things. The first thing was he knew that God lives. And the other thing is he knew that he stood as an ambassador of God. What does, he, what does he tell Obadiah here? He tells him the exact same thing he says to Ahab in chapter, in chapter 1, or in chapter 17, verse 1. He says, our God lives, and I stand in his stead. And that's enough for Obadiah to hear and cause him to obey. Now the question is, are you like, can you get past your reluctancies when you say to yourself that I worship a God that lives, and I know that I'm his ambassador? That was enough for Obadiah. Is it enough for you? So as we enter, we're going to worship and we're going to close right here. But as we do that, listen to me. Kaya, listen. I know, that, I know that you're tired. I know that it feels like a longer day. It's because it is. Sundays are longer now. I'm sorry. You'll get used to it. Your butt will get more calloused sitting there. And you're going to be fine. But listen to me. You know what? You're not going to be fine if you leave here and you allow yourself to be distracted, and you allow yourself to think about how hungry you are, and how, hey, wasn't church good today, but I'm going to go do this, this, and that today? Listen to me. It's time to lay down the reluctancies and be the righteous remnant that you've been called to be. And so as the worship team comes up, we're going to pray right now, but if there's something you need to work through, grab a friend and let's pray. There's no... There's no place to come forward for an invitation, grab someone and pray where you're at. Can we do that? Or maybe go outside or, or whatever and have the conversation you need to have. It's time to, to put away the excuses and lean in. You understand? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Obadiah. What a righteous man. man. What, what an amazing person. A man fearless. But he's just dealing with all the things. Honestly, these are things that we struggle with too. And in, in fact, these are going to be things that we see Elijah struggle with. And so, Lord, God, let us put aside our pride. 
And let's not judge Obadiah. Lord, help us to see ourselves, to judge ourselves, and to say, I have similar fears, and I need to lay them down, and I need to trust you for something fresh, something new, because, God, I know you're calling me to something more, and the vision is being increased for my life. And I know that I've got to decide today that there's things that I need to do that I would have never, ever considered, things I put on the back shelf, things that I disregarded. I need the faith to move forward and press on, Lord. Give me that faith. I need it. Help me to believe that you live and that I am your ambassador. And if I believe that, I'll go anywhere that you ask me to go. So give us that kind of faith today. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.liv.